Hello everyone, welcome to yet another podcast of Healthcare Simplified. My name is Manoj Gursani and my sole mission and purpose is through my podcast is to simplify jargons of various aspects of healthcare faced by the common man by chatting with experts on various subjects like diabetes, cancer, heart problems, eye-related disease, various communicable and non-communicable diseases. I plan to keep it in a very easy chat mode and a Q&A format and hopefully limit it to about 25 minutes plus here and there. Today I'm excited to welcome a dear friend and a guest for my panel today. Her name is Susie Singh and she's going to speak to us on coping with second wave implications on mental health. And Susie, by the way, is the author of an international best-selling author best-selling book called Seven Karma Codes and now it's available in three languages English, Italian and Serbian. She's also a mental health coach, international speaker, certified clinical hypnotherapist, karma coach, YouTube educator and grief counselor. She's also advisor to the board at the mental health NGO We Listen and Susie has helped thousands of people worldwide through personal therapy session and has authored innumerable articles in leading publications on wellness and uh, and i've been following her we've been on another panel and i thought it was very meaningful to get her on because anxiety mental aspects etc are really being a challenge for many of us at this time so welcome to my podcast susie and i will begin my first point with what is the key difference you observe between the impact of the first and the second wave on people's mental health Thank you so much, Manoj, for having me here. And I'm really grateful for the work that you are doing. And I think this is a very, very important subject that you have raised today. The first wave had people grappling with shock, confusion, fear, frustration, and uncertainty. Lives were halted, dreams were put on hold, and travel plans were canceled. Then as the pandemic engulfed the world and showed no signs of abating, it led to depression brought on by social isolation, anxiety about contracting the virus, layoffs and unemployment. Now, initially people escaped this trauma by the frenzy of cooking and baking, hosting Zoom parties and meetups, but we are seeing that the efficacy of this coping mechanism has worn off in one season. Almost everyone expected that we'd be better equipped when the second wave hit India. And thus, we have all been left devastated with how events have actually unfolded. The lack of preemptive measures and resources have led to unrelenting grief and loss, which have been the central theme of the second wave. I think the circle of grief has moved closer home and has left virtually no one untouched. We all seem to have lost someone that we've known personally. So while the first wave brought with it the loss of joy and habituated routines leading to depression, the second wave has brought real grief. Images of death and dying have led to PTSD or post-traumatic stress and its effects. So if I may step in here and you're so beautifully articulating that. What, and I'll dive deeper into the question of the impact of the second wave, the mental repercussion, because I have seen you and the way you express and because you are a mental health expert and do so many things, 
So specifically, what what would you like? Uh, because who are listening to us? As I told you, it's a video chat, audio podcast, etc. So those who are listening and viewing, I really want them to get an understanding of what has been. And I believe it's very therapeutic when you know others have also gone through a similar thing. You're not isolated. It gives that comfort. So please uh, give a little sharing on that. Sure. I think uh, the second wave has brought with it multiple mental health issues. The first one, as I was mentioning, grief and loss has been rampant. People were denied death rituals in many cases, which made the onset of grieving even harder because bereavement requires community. And the lockdown denied this to grievers, leading to stifled grief. You know, we are very ill-equipped when it comes to grieving alone because we need love from support and love and support from our dear and near ones. And the 13-day rituals allows the grievers to be able to revisit their grief over and over again. And this, from a therapeutic perspective, allows for a desensitization process, which didn't happen this time round at all. And organizations, I felt, were also very deeply impacted because there were people who lost their colleagues and it made them re-examine their work-life priorities. Many executives have been questioning the reality of how little time they actually spent with their families when they saw that somebody's wife died. And they are wondering, why am I even working such long hours? What's the point of life? What is the purpose of my existence? So all of those questions are really coming up. And um, intervention is becoming very important for organizational grief also. Because if you've had a very dear colleague die, some people are saying that, you know, it's they're in a state of shock. They don't want to come back to work. So those who have witnessed the trauma of death personally, they are struggling with post-traumatic stress. What you know, there was one... Again, intervene, sir. Uh, for those who have lost loved ones, what is, is there any way of coping mechanism? What is your advice to them specifically being more practical about the problem? So mourning has six needs, and I will briefly talk about these. And these are the six things that those who have lost loved ones, they must address. First is acknowledging the reality of death. And here the role of community becomes very important. So please reach out and talk about your grief, share the stories of your loss. Second is moving towards the pain of the loss. Now, grievers will swing between feeling okay one day and then feeling completely overwhelmed the next day. So it becomes very difficult to uh, bear the shock when the grief wave hits you. And which is why I recommend join a grief circle or reach out for individual grief counseling. I have started one such grief session, which meets every 15 days. It's on Facebook and they can join it. And they can reach out to you and you can put them in touch with me. I'll be very happy to support them. Third aspect is renewing the relationship with the disease, disease so that you know that it's a continued bond because love is lost, but only in the physical form. So that's beautiful. The, renewing the relationship with the deceased. Please explain that because that's... Like yeah. So what it means is that we learned to love the person we lost only in a physical form. So they may not be physically present with us, but nothing is going to change the depth of love that we shared for them, the respect, the honor, the values, 
what we have become because of them. And we can continue to relate with them through our dreams, by continuing their work, by keeping their legacy alive, by instilling their values, beliefs, and all the uh, great virtues that they inspired in us. This is Susie, music to my ears, and I'll just share a quick example, uh, because I lost my father three and a half years back. He was a very saintly man. His purpose in life was to serve people. And you know, uh, so honestly, after I lost him, one of the things I said, okay, now I feel his presence all the time, but and you so you actually getting me goosebumps because I am trying to inculcate even two percent of what he used to do and live his life by serving mankind. So that has been my pivotal change or that moment of truth where I felt, acha, abhi kya kare? Kuch life mein karte hai, to jata. And I feel by doing that little small thing which you used to do is giving me that ikigai and purpose of life. So thank you for bringing that up. It's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is what can, in some cases, like you just mentioned, specifically your case, it leads you to the fourth aspect, which is search for new meaning in life. So move from why this happened to me on to how can I rebuild my life, explore new ways of finding meaning and purpose in your life. And like you mentioned, I find a lot of time by continuing the work the inspirations, the legacies of the person who has passed, things that were important to them. It becomes our purpose then to lead those, to drive those. That's very useful. The fifth is to develop a new identity. Because in many cases, when I do my grief work, I find even if you are in your 60s as an adult child also, when you lose your parent, maybe at 80 or at 90, there is a feeling of suddenly having been abandoned or orphaned. Who am I without my parent? Who am I without my spouse? So, you know, you go from being a married person to a widowed person, and that's a new identity altogether. You go to being an orphan child, and now you become the parent, but you're no longer a child. So these new identities that you need to deal with, to adapt to, to reacclimatize to, that becomes a very important aspect, which is the fifth need of morning and the sixth need is to continue receiving support because grief is a continuous journey you know people think that uh, the pain becomes less as time passes that's not true you will never not miss the person and we know that uh, for example tomorrow if you have a child getting married how is it possible you most miss your father there of course you will miss your father then you'll want ke wo hote to so it's, it's very important that we learn to continue reach out for help whenever those grief waves hit us or whenever we feel that we are drowning in the ocean of grief and we continue working with it. A lot of people hesitate to receive uh, support because they've got this very um, misguided conception of being strong, which is putting on the pretense of getting on with life and being normal. Especially with men, I can feel that because and I'm personally talking that, you know, men don't cry. You know, they are probably feel we are stronger, but we are not. So how do you, so maybe this is because in a woman, emote more, they have a stronger social circle, that satsang they go to, various other things. Men are in that sense feeling, but what is a specific message to a man who's lost either a sibling or a parent or a child, etc.? Can he, is it okay to cry? Is it okay to reach out? What is your specific thought there? 
I think it is very, very important for men to cry. And there is a scientific reason for that. And the reason is that the tears of grief have a special pain-relieving chemical in them. God has designed for us to cry when we are hurt. Now, any social beliefs that we may have do not stand up in the face of God's design of the human body. And therefore, any men who believe that they must not cry should understand that God wanted us to cry when we experienced loss. And that will allow us to heal and adapt, in fact, in a more holistic way. Now, what I have found is that it's not just men alone. It's the community that is also limiting men. I had uh, the experience of one gentleman who came in for an individual grief counseling session and he cried like a child, but he said, you know what? My wife doesn't want me to cry. She tells me that I need you to be strong for my children. So men, are it's not that they are imposing limitations on themselves. Their families are also imposing limitations on them. They can't see their husbands cry. They don't want to see their fathers cry. And I'm suggesting that the minute you sit and cry with your child and you say, I miss my dad, do you miss Dadaji also? Now you are creating a circle of very, very healthy grieving. And you're teaching your child it's okay to cry. Beautiful. So beautiful. You can share it. And I can feel that because I've seen you sharing about your father and others on Facebook also. So I can empathize that you feel it from your heart. And I think that's very important. Now, leading to the third, the following question, when you talked about children, what do you feel has COVID impacted the children? Or whatever, you know, we define them as your sharing and you share your counseling. I can see thousands of people in support groups, etc. So what, or in fact, if you could give without naming any kind of story, impact, etc. whatever you feel. You know, I think children have been the most neglected targets of this pandemic, Manoj. Because when death arrives in a family, the elders become so cautious about hiding their grief that they fail to understand that the children are very perceptive. They understand what's going on. And in many cases, I've seen children silently absorbing their parents' grief and then falling sick. So children must be spoken to. They must be allowed to vent and express their fears and their grief instead of bottling it up. The example we set for them when we escape our grief is that grieving is wrong or grieving is bad and that it's a taboo, that it's unnatural. So it's very important that you talk with your young ones about how you miss your dear departed. Cry with them, develop a mutually nourishing grief relationship with them. Now, very recently, I was working with a gentleman who has an 11-year-old boy and, uh, uh, you know, lost um, the spouse. And in that case, what we discovered was that a uh, few days later, the child has fallen sick because the child is actually parenting the father. The child is telling the father, don't worry, I am there. Uh, I will take care of you. It's all right. Uh, you know, mama has not gone. We can still talk to her. So everything that the parent ought to have been doing with the child, the child is doing. So this role reversal of trying to parent, the parent is what creates a lot of grief in the child and then the child falls sick. 
So instead of that situation, I'm suggesting hug and hold your children, cry with them, talk about it. Say, I really miss mama. Do you miss her to create some rituals? You know, for example, if it's the mother's birthday, light a little uh, lamp in front of a photograph, write letters to the mother, make projects. These grief rituals are so healing. And it's not just about crying, but it is about being able to connect through that feeling of continued bonds. Very interesting. And with all this going on, now they talk about the Delta variant and etc. etc. So how should we be really strong or resilient for in planning for the third wave? God forbid it doesn't happen and we escape that. But how does one again? I'm sure you get a lot of questions, concerns. There are a lot of anxieties built on that. So what are your thoughts on that? So I have uh, several suggestions and the first most important one is that you need to address your current level of anxiety because if you do not address that, it will get re-triggered the moment you're hit with the third wave. And the method I suggest is what I call the DTB method. It's something that I've devised myself. The D stands from drop from your head to your heart or your hara point, which is one inch above your navel. Now, Many people, when they are uh, becoming anxious, they get locked in the head. So they start overthinking, brooding, and thinking worst case scenarios. Instead of keeping your attention here, please drop to your heart and become aware of the sensations in your body or drop to your hara point. The second is touch that part of your body which you're feeling is very tight or very stressed because that is where your anxiety triggers are resting or anchored. So if you're feeling that your heart is really throbbing fast, keep a hand over your heart there. Touch that part of the body. And the third is bring your attention to your breath and breathe into that part of the body so that you're using the breath to excavate the stress or the tension. And it's literally like thinking that my breath is a bucket. I'm putting the bucket into the well of my body and I'm pulling out all the trauma and the pain. This is extremely, extremely powerful method if you're able to practice it. And it doesn't take more than five minutes. So DTB, drop your attention from head to heart, touch the part of the body that is most tense or stressed and breathe into it and use your breath to pull out the pain or the trauma from there. The second thing is what I call empty mind journaling, which I suggest everybody do daily, write a journal at bedtime without thinking. So you're not thinking but you're putting pen to paper and just it's like doodling now what that does is it brings you access to your subconscious mind and you're able to empty it out having done that when you sleep your sleep resources are used for healing the body and not for venting the day's unprocessed events so the brain power is used constructively for healing the third aspect is if you are having a panic attack, because a lot of people I talk to these days are having panic attacks if they've got a COVID-like symptom or something that's coming on, understand your panic is related to feeling unsafe. There is a hidden thought about dying or a fear about death. And so you can switch that by just thinking of a memory when you felt really loved or safe. If you're feeling safe, you will alter that. Now, if you're not able to switch that, another way is simply alter your breath rate because your breath becomes very shallow. You take 
10 minutes of deep breathing and you'll be done or even 3 minutes of deep breathing is good enough and if nothing is working at all then the easiest thing to do is pull out an ice pack from your refrigerator and just put it at this point near your neck and you'll start feeling that you're settling down very easily so that's the second uh, third thing if you're having a panic attack i lost you for 30 seconds because of i think the internet stability yes yes yeah. so if if nothing is working for you then just use an ice pack from your refrigerator where you can just put it at this point which is you know near your neck or your chest and you will find that your anxiety levels will drop automatically so that is another way of dealing with your panic attacks two things which i find regularly we must embrace uh, practices associated with nature if you have a window please sit there and spend a few minutes sky gazing if you have a balcony or if you can go out for a walk walk in nature because that attunes you to the frequency of the earth and there is a concept called entrainment that means entrainment simply means that when i am alongside someone i start vibrating at their frequency it is very similar to a crying baby that a mother lifts and puts into her arms and when the baby hears the heartbeat of the mother it soothes down mm-hmm. when you are feeling stressed you are just like that crying baby walk in nature and mother nature is going to hold you to its bosom and calm you bring you into her heartbeat that is entrainment so it's again extremely powerful so i suggest that you do these things secondly of course it goes without saying that be very self restrained i'm finding a lot of people are beginning to because they get so frustrated they want to run out and they want to start socializing but be restrained and responsible if you want to inhibit the third wave very important to give yourself solar time sleep hours water intake exercise pranayama and if you can't do pranayama i suggest start singing even bathroom singing is good enough because that helps you exercise your lungs and third most important thing is develop an attitude of faith and surrender to the divine and a seva bhav or service attitude because for too long we have been takers but the principle of prosperity is to give because we see nature gives the sun gives the earth gives you align with that principle of prosperity and you will be healthy right through the third wave beautiful suzy and you know that giving reminds me again i learned this from my father is that it, he was a, a big uh, he used to respect saint francis of assisi and what yes. happened in that is it's in giving that we receive and yes. i personally experienced that and i worked with a lot of rotary organizations and ngos and being part of that so the fulfillment it gives in giving to kab log puchte hain yaar tu itna seva bhav kyun kar rahe hai matlab na very selfish i am getting a lot out of that it gives me that energy so what you've been saying is drinking water keeping hydration breath you've been stressing on and which is great you know that shallow breathing breathing walking being with nature etc nutrition a uh, one thing aspect what do you feel is the role of gratitude in all this well i think uh gratitude is very very key and it's one of my principles for mental strength 
So when I talk about, you know, how do we build mental strength is a question that comes at me very often. And I say, there are four prerequisites and there are four anchors. Now, the four prerequisites are freedom from past trauma, which means uh, I just explained the DTB method. Please use the DTB method to excavate all past trauma, which may have come from the first or second wave or whatever you've seen and heard or people you've lost. The second thing is faith and acceptance of what will or what will be. Just accept it. Have faith. Third prerequisite is action when required. Because a lot of people go into overthinking when a crisis hits them or they freeze. And I'm saying that's the time to move into action. So be in action when required. And the fourth is mindfulness of present moment awareness. Don't worry about second wave mein ye hua tha, iska matlab third wave mein to bahut hi kharaab ho jayega, bachche effect ho jayenge, what will happen to my child? And I'm finding a lot of that is happening right now with people. So these are the four prerequisites. But the four anchors of mental strength. One is passion and purpose. If you don't have a purpose, then you're not committed to something. You're not constructively engaged with something. You must have a purpose that you wake up to every morning and say, yay, today I am feeling fulfilled. Second, giving and service attitude. Third is gratitude for what you have. And the fourth is a daily reset. When I go to bed at night, Manoj, I always tell myself, is there anything that I have not completed if I don't wake up tomorrow morning. Yeah. And sometimes I will wake up at two in the night and say, Are ko hug karna bhool gai, and I'll go hug them and say, I love you so much. Beautiful. And when I wake up in the morning, so there is nothing unfulfilled. Yes. So even if I pass over at night, I am complete. I'm complete. And when I wake up in the morning, my first pranam is to the sun and say, God, how resplendent you've given me one more day to do lots of the things that I love to. So reset at night and reawaken to a new life every morning. So Susie, you know what? It's been so therapeutic just speaking to you and I can actually, though you're somewhere else, feel that energy and because you're practically using it. And you know, last time also when we had that Graceful Living webinar where you were speaking to senior citizen, that was one of the most sought after recording people have asked me because they felt somewhere that you know, you are speaking, you are one of them. It's not just bhashan de lecture you're following that, adapting that. One last question I had is many people reach out, you're, as you said, restless mind, overthinking, you have mentioned that. But can you again give a couple of solutions or thoughts or nuskia for the restless and the non-stop chattering of the mind? You know, the best thing is uh, if nothing else works, we have to understand that the mind is like an elephant. The elephant's trunk needs to be given something to hold on to. You give it a stick and it won't cause destruction. So simplest is a japa. You give it a japa. For example, for me at night, it'll either be Satnam Vaiguru or it'll be Om Sai Ram. You just repeat the chant. So whatever ish you have or whatever japa, and the japa doesn't need to be religion-based. There are times I walk and align my footsteps with the word peace, 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 and my mind is slowed down. So I think that's the easiest for people who are restless because when you describe restlessness, there is a tendency to overthink in these people. 
So uh, we have three bodies. We have the intellect, the emotional, and the physical, okay? These are people who tend to use the intellect very largely. They have an overuse of the intellect, but this is a negative use of intellect because the intellect is only to be used for logic and reasoning. It's not meant to be used for overthinking. The other thing is, if you're overthinking and restlessness, engage in action. That's the second suggestion. Kuch karo us even if it means that you start cleaning up, but get into action. So you could go for a jog, you could do on the spot jogging, you can just get into some action and you will find Bilkul. Susi, it's been so, you know, I wish I can go on and on, but as we promised to our listeners, the viewers, that we'll keep the format short and more engaging. Of course, with you, I can have a couple of more sequels on different subjects. and I. <laughs> that in future but again thank you very much i know you're a busy lady especially in this time when there are traumatic time people are facing a lot of social anxiety disorders etc you know youngsters are having their own you know thing they can't go out work for home so many people living in smaller homes with so many problems and thank you for uh, you know touching upon we almost did like a rapid fire uh, yes. <laughs> Nowadays, what I've also felt is attention span is lower, so we wanted to keep the format there. And literally, and through you, I wanted to, and I hope to the audience who are listening and watching, you could sense that we are almost talking to you. And of course, I'm learning in the process, and we all are students of life. And if even a couple of points and the purpose of the podcast of this is that how it can help reach out to the commonest of the person with less jargon, and, uh, you know, if it can benefit even one person listening to this or watching this, I think our purpose is solved, or at least my purpose is solved. And thank you once again for tuning into a podcast of Healthcare Simplified. We'll be sharing it in various platforms and sending the link. Please feel free to share for those whom you feel can benefit. And Susie, once again, wonderful to have you and hopefully we'll touch base with you in the future. Entirely my pleasure. Loved it, Manoj. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.